Jamie's already told us that we're in a new series. The series is called Giving God's Way. What we're really going to be talking about this morning is stewardship. We're going to be talking about three things in the next three weeks. Today we're talking about why we give. Next week we'll be talking about how we give. And the third week we'll be talking about what we give. So why, how, and what. What we're talking about today is, is why we give. We're talking again about stewardship. I remember growing up, I, uh, my father, my mother, we never went to church. My father was an atheist. And I came to know Christ when I was 22 years old. So the first time I started going to church, I remember the pastor standing up and talking about stewardship. And I had no clue of what he was talking about. I, I really didn't, especially from a biblical perspective. So I thought, since we're going to spend three weeks talking about stewardship, I thought I should define it, because there might be a few of you out there that were like me. You have no clue when we talk about stewardship, what in the world that really means. So let me try to define it for us, okay? Here's a biblical definition of stewardship. Stewardship is the understanding that God owns it all. He chooses to give us resources that we are to manage, and according to how we manage those resources, we will be rewarded in heaven as well as on the earth. God is the owner, we're the manager, and we will be awarded, rewarded, and also accountable for what we do, how we manage what God gives to us. You know, the problem is that many of us think that we're the owners of all that we have. We're the source of all that we have. And as long as you believe that, you're going to continue to have a, a, a conflict with God. If you don't settle the issue of ownership, you're going to continue in this conflict with God. I remember a story that was told me that really helped me understand that God owns it all, and I don't. Let me tell you, hopefully it'll help you understand the fact that God's the owner, and you're not. My friend told me a story about a time he took out his son, and they went out to McDonald's for lunch. And he bought his son a Happy Meal. And they sat down, and he bought himself a cheeseburger. And his son took out the Happy Meal, and he put the cheeseburger and the French fries and the Coke on the table. And they prayed, and then they began to have a conversation. Inside the conversation, the father, my buddy, reached over to grab one of his fries from his son. And his son pulled back those fries to his chest and said, Hey, Dad, those are my fries. Get your own. And my, and my friend said he couldn't believe his son. He was amazed at his statement. And he had three thoughts. The first thought was, My son has quickly forgotten that I'm the source of those French fries. I'm the source of those fries. And then he said the second thing. And my son has no clue or has forgotten that I have the power to take away those french fries. And he can't do anything about it. He thinks he's in control, but I am. I can take those fries away from him in a moment, anytime I want. Third thing he thought about is that my son doesn't understand that I am his provider. I provide for him. Matter of fact, I have enough money in my pocket that I can walk over to the counter and buy enough french fries that I can cover him in french fries. I have enough money in the bank that I can take it out and buy this building we're sitting in today, he said. You see, my, my son, what I needed him to understand 
is this. He said, I need him to understand, I don't need his french fries. I didn't need his french fries. What I needed him, I needed him to be willing to share with me what I've previously given to him. I need him to be willing to share with me what I've previously given to him. When I heard that story, I understood stewardship. I understood my relationship to God. That God has given me everything. He owns everything. I don't. If I begin to believe that Ed Glover owns everything, I I just continue to stay in a conflict with God because I'm about my stuff. But the moment I began to understand that God owns it and that I don't, I realized this. I realized that the time I've been given, the time I was born, I didn't choose the time I was born and neither did you. God used my mom and dad to make me, but God created me. He gave me life. I didn't choose it. He also not only gave me life, but he gave me the talents that I have. He not only gave me the talents, but he's given me the very treasures that I have. And I know what you're thinking, because this is the way I think. You think, man, I work really, really hard for what I have. I put the sweat behind that brow. I I own that stuff. That's my stuff. No, no. Who gives you the strength, the health, the breath in your lungs to do that work? God. God gives it to you, sustains it, and as long as you work hard, yes, you will be rewarded. And God makes it very, very clear that not only does he own it all, but you and I are to be managers of what he gives to us. He owns it, we're the managers. And we will be rewarded on on how well we manage what he gives to us. In the parables, he gave us a story of the talents. You remember that? In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus tells us about the talents. He tells us this. He says there, you go look that up. But he says briefly that the master is God and the servants are all of us. And there's three servants. He gives five talents, which is money, to one servant, two talents to the second, and one to the third. He goes away on a trip and he comes back. And the, one that he, the two that he gave, five and two, they doubled their, their talents. They gave them back ten and four. And the last one, he dug a hole and stuck his talent in the hole. And when he got back, all he had to give to him was one talent. The Bible tells us that the two who multiplied what he gave to them, he rewarded them. But the one who did not manage what he had given to him, he was extremely disciplined. Matter of fact, punished. God makes it very, very clear in the scriptures that he owns it. And what he gives to us, we're going to be responsible and rewarded on how well we manage what he gives to us. Manages our time, our talents, and our treasures. Hopefully today I've helped you understand what stewardship means. Now that we understand that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would ask right now that you would fill me with your spirit. And you continue to speak to your people. And Lord, you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Martin Luther said this once. He said, when somebody's converted, when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, there's three conversions. There's the conversion of the mind, of the head, and the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. And he said the most difficult one of those conversions is the conversion of the pocketbook. In our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, the Apostle Paul is very concerned about the conversion of the Corinthians' 
pocketbook. So much so that he puts in verse 5 and he tells them about his concern. Look at verse 5 with me. It says this, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. Before we look at that word grudgingly, let me just look at this word generously, a generous gift you had promised. The Corinthian church had promised this great gift, this huge gift of money to the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because there was a famine that hit that area. And now the people in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters in Christ, were not only facing opposition and persecution from the Romans, but now they were starving to death. Starving. Now you've got to remember that the Jerusalem church is the mother church. It's the one that started all those other churches. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Jerusalem, and they started all these churches. The churches heard about the needs of their mothership, if you will, the mother church and the Christian brothers and sisters in that, in that city. And they rose up to help them. And the first church that rose up was the Corinthian church. And they stood up and they said, we're going to give this huge gift to help those people, our brothers and sisters in need. And this motivated and inspired the other churches, even churches like Macedonia, who were absolutely dirt poor. They were giving. And their gifts went in to Jerusalem. But now it was a year later. And the church in Corinth never gave their gift. Their funds were uncollected and unsent after a whole year. And the Apostle Paul writes again, and I read it again. It says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift not as one grudgingly given. What does that mean, grudgingly? It means that they were good grief givers. Have you ever seen the offering plate coming and you thought, oh, good grief, here comes the offering plate, you know? <laughs> kind of good grief. When you're writing out your checks, right? You say, good grief, I've got to write the tie check again to Christ church? Kind of take on that good grief. When somebody calls you at night and needs some help, you kind of say, oh, good grief, I wish they would have called somebody else. Have you ever had that attitude raise up its ugly head in you? I have. And when that attitude is raised up in me, what I do is I take it right to Jesus and I say, Jesus, please, change my attitude from, oh, good grief, I have to, to I get to. You know, one of the ways that God changes my attitude, turns me around, he reminds me of stewardship. That he owns it, I'm the manager, and I'm going to be rewarded and I'm going to be disciplined on how well I manage my time, my talent, and my treasures to make an impact in this world. And it usually motivates me to say, no, no, I'm getting to it. I'm going to get to it. You know, Jesus taught a lot about stewardship, everybody. You know why? Because he, he knew man's heart. He knew that we would be reluctant to give. Matter of fact, he taught 16 out of his 38 parables. You hear that? 16 out of his 38 parables on money and possessions. The Bible devotes 500 verses to prayer, less than 500 verses to faith, over 700 verses on love, but over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why does the Bible and Jesus teach so much about money and possessions? Because Jesus understood that we cannot serve two masters. He knew the one thing that would get in between us and him, in our relationship with him, 
would be possessions and money. See, he knew, he knew man's heart. But so did the Apostle Paul. And he knew that this church that once was so excited about giving, their hearts have grown cold, not just about the gift, but about God. And he says to them, don't give that gift, oh, good grief, I have to. He tells them why and how they should give that gift. He says it in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We know what, we know what the other word meant. It means good grief. This word means what? It means cheerful giver. What does that mean? It literally, literally means hilarious giver. Absolutely hilarious. The word hilarious means that you're filled so much with joy that it prompts you into action. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Come on, you remember that? You remember the first time you fell in love, huh? Right? You did some crazy stuff when you first fell in love. You would do all kinds of strange. When I fell in love with Tammy, I mean, man, I, I would travel hours just to be with my wife, my girlfriend back then, a couple of minutes. I did crazy stuff. I hate to be on the phone, everybody. I really do. I mean, that's part of my job, but I hate it. But when I was in, not in, I am still in, love with my wife, I, I stayed on the phone all night long. Why? Because I loved her. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to talk to her. I couldn't wait to talk to her. I'd move heaven and earth to be with her. I did crazy stuff, man. And so did you. And why did you do that? Because you loved them. You didn't have an attitude, oh, good grief, I got to be with you again. No, you said, man, I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want to be with you. I remember Tammy and I watching a movie. And this couple was having a difficult time. So they invited some friends over. And they had dinner. And after dinner, the friends left. And dishes were all over the kitchen. And the man at the house sits down on the couch. He starts playing video games. And the woman's going into the kitchen. She kind of leans back. I'm going in to do the dishes. His response was, cool. He's playing the video games. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we know that that was not the response that that woman was looking for. So they started arguing about the dishes. Finally, after they kept arguing, the man says, fine, I'll help you do the stupid dishes. And the woman responds, oh, forget it. He says, wait a minute. I, I, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. I want you to want to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the, He goes, why in the world would I want to do the dishes? Nobody wants to do the dishes. Nobody. The man didn't understand. He didn't have a clue of what she was saying. Yes, she was asking him to help her do the dishes. But what she was really saying to him was this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me enough to want to help me? Those two friends were both of our friends. Both of us work jobs. Both of us are tired. But we've got to clean the house. What I'm asking you is not about the dishes. I'm asking you, do you love me enough to want to help me? What the Apostle Paul was saying to that church, he was saying the same thing that the woman said to the man in that movie. 
It's not about the dishes. It's about whether you love me. It wasn't about the pledge or the gift. It was whether or not you love Jesus enough that you wanted to give to him. That's what he was saying. Do you love Jesus enough that you want to help him? Do you want to give to him? The bottom line that the Apostle Paul is saying is this. Anybody who's in love with Jesus wants to give to him. Anybody. And why do you give to Jesus? Because he first loved you. And he gave everything for you. Jesus Christ not only created you and gave you and has given you life. Used your mom and dad to make you. He gave you life. But then he sacrificed himself on the cross. Completely sacrificed. Took your place. Was a substitute for you. And the wrath of God fell upon him. And he dies on the cross. And he's raised again from the dead. He walks out of the grave. And anybody who believes upon him, he has the power and the authority to forgive them of their sin and to give them eternal life. And now that you've come to know Jesus Christ, he not only gives you life, he's given you eternal life. And the Apostle Paul is saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You've got, a, you've got an attitude, good grief, I have to? He said, you should have an attitude that says, good grief, I can't wait to. I am anticipating it. I can't wait to give to him because I love him because he loved me. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what it means to say that you are cheerful giver. You love Jesus. That's why you give. That's why you do it. But then as the Apostle Paul lays that out for the people, he lays out a stewardship principle. Now I've already laid out for you about what stewardship means. But watch what, watch what Paul does here in our passage. In verse 10 it says this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Let me unpack that verse for you. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who supplies the seed? God. Who's the sower? We are. Who supplies the seed to the sower? God. Who owns it all? God. We're the sowers. We're the managers. And we're accountable and we'll be rewarded on how well you manage your time, your talents, and your treasures. He reminds them of that great steward concept. And then he gives them two principles that help them to understand why they want to give. The first principle is this. What you keep, you will lose. And what you give, to God you will keep. Before I go to that principle, though, because I, am, I do have some time, I want to give this to you so you understand this. It's very important. I'm going to bounce back for just a minute. When you understand that God is the owner and we're the managers, what you realize is that tithing isn't really giving anything to God. It's just returning it. Tithing isn't really giving anything to God. It's just returning it. See, when you realize that God has given you everything, it's much easier to give him everything that you have. A little boy came to know Christ. And he came from a very poor family. Never been in church before. 
He sat in church and it was time to take up the offering and the offering plate was going down the aisle. And he was noticing people were putting money in the offering plate. So he started thinking, he realized, I don't have any money. He started crying out to God, God, what can I do? What can I give you? What do I have that I can give to you? Finally, the plate comes to him. He takes the plate, he steps out into the aisle, he puts it on the, on the floor, and he steps inside the plate. And the, he's, this is what he says to the church. He says, God has given me all that I have. So I give all that I have to him, which is myself. Folks, that's true stewardship. What the Apostle Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, he was saying, God has given you everything, your salvation and everything. Stewardship doesn't start with what you put in the offering plate on Sunday morning. Stewardship begins when you give everything to God because he's given everything to you. That's when it begins. After the Apostle Paul has said all these things, now let's get to the two principles. He's saying, if you give to God, you will keep whatever you give. But whatever you're unwilling to give to God, you will lose. What you, you will lose whatever you hold on to. You will keep whatever you give to God. What you keep, you lose. What you give to God, you'll keep. Look at verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Four times he said all. Look at that. All grace, all things, all times, having all that you need. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying this. If you committed all you have to him, then God's responsible. And if you committed all to him, then he's responsible to take care of you. And he will provide all that you need because he owns it all. But he also is saying this, but if you withhold or take back something from him and withhold that from him for yourself, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. Because all that you're going to keep is what you commit to him. All that you hold back from him, you'll lose. And he goes on in verse 9 and he explains it this way. He says that not only will you lose it temporarily, but you'll lose it forever. But what you give to God will not be just given temporarily. It will be kept forever. Look what he says in verse 9. It says this. All it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What he was talking about is what you give to God will last forever. And what you hold back from God, you will lose forever. You know, the great, that's a great principle to understand. But then he goes further and he, he completes it with a second principle. And the second principle is this. What you give to God, not only will he keep it forever, but he'll multiply it. Not only will he keep it forever, but he'll multiply it. Look what he says in verse 6. In verse 6 he says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You give a little, you get a little. You give a lot, you get a lot. And then he he, he completes it by saying this in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, he will take what you give to him and he will multiply it. 
He will turn it into 30, 60, and 100 fold. I remember when we first started Urban Impact Foundation. We used basketball as an outreach. And I remember we were in one gym for about a semester. And we went into the gym, and there was just myself and some other guys, and we were playing basketball with these kids and talking to them about Jesus. And they started stealing from one another. And the season ended. The second season came around, and I decided the stealing's going to stop. So I sat them all down again, 60, 80 of them, sit them down, and I say to them, listen, not going to steal from each other. And if you do, I want you to come and tell me. And if it's not replaced, we're all going to replace it. We're going to give to replace whatever's taken. And if you're not willing to do this, then I'm not going to play basketball. We're going to end the program. Now, I knew back in the 80s and the 90s that Urban Impact was the only show on the north side. So I knew I had the carrot in my hand. They wanted to play basketball, and I had it. So I said, listen, if you don't play by these rules, we're done. They said, okay, Pastor Ed, man, anything gets stolen, we'll replace it. So about three or four weeks into the program, sure enough, somebody gets something stolen. They come up to me and they say, Pastor Ed, somebody's taking some of my money and some of my Pokemon cards. Remember the Pokemon cards? Well, they were taken. And they said, I, so I pulled everybody together and I said, okay, these money's been taken, some Pokemon cards. If they're not turned in... By the end of the night, you turn them in. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'll just pray with you. Just give them to me so we can replace it. We bring them back to the, what, what has been taken. And then I said to them, but if it doesn't come back, then we've got to replace it. They said, sure. End of the night. Nothing's turned in. I get up in front of everybody and I say, okay, we've got, to, we've got to replace it. I think we've got to come up with about $9. They started saying to me, no way, man. No way. We didn't take it. It's not my problem. I said, okay, we're going to end the league right now. So we gathered everybody together. Everybody put their hands in the pile. And I started praying. I said, Lord, if that person doesn't return what is taken, and these young men do not replace what has been taken, then I'm going to end this league right now. In Jesus' name. And before I could say amen, I heard a voice that was very familiar to me. A little voice that said this. Here's my money. (laughs) Take my money. Please, Dad, don't end this league. And I looked up, and there was this little hand popping up out of that pile of hands. And it was grasping onto a couple dollar bills. And it was my son, Joshua. And Joshua was five years old. He, he'd gotten some money from the tooth fairy. And all that he had was in his hand. These kids that were in that gym were high school players. They knew my son had nothing to do. He didn't get any benefit from this league. And when they saw him give, (laughs) they went into their pockets and they started pulling out pennies and dimes and quarters and dollars. Till we got $15, we ended up giving it all back to the kid. We continued the league. And I'll never forget the sports banquet. There we were, hundreds of kids are in the room. 25 young men give their lives to Christ Hear me now. Didn't stop there. Now, 15 years later, that league's continued to go on. We're not just in one gym. We're in five different gyms through the entire school year into the summer. Four, five, six hundred kids at a time. Over, well over a thousand kids have come to know Christ. Listen to me. When my son stands before God and he gave what he had and God took it and kept it and he multiplied it, 
Not only does he get to see what happens on the earth, but I can't wait to see what he's going to do, what happened in the kingdom when my son stands before God. Just because he was faithful to give that little small gift to God. Could you imagine what all of us could do? What kind of impact we could make in the city, in your neighborhood, in this community, if we'd all catch this great concept that we're here on the planet for only so long. We're only here for so long, and then we're dead. And from the moment we're born until the moment we die, that little dash right there says everything to Jesus Christ. That little dash of your life will represent you and you will stand before God and you and I will be accountable for how well we managed what he had given to us. And I know that the world, the devil, and the flesh is telling you to give to everything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am encouraging you as a church to do everything you can in these next few weeks to pray and ask God what he would ask you to do. For that little dash that you have, you don't have forever to do what God has created you and given you the time to do it. Leave a legacy, my friend. Leave an eternal one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you that you You've loved us before we even loved you. And you've given everything to us. And Lord, today we've learned very clearly that we are to manage what you give. And we want to do that really, really well. So Lord, we're asking you in Jesus' name today that you would help us. That you would help us to know what we're to give and what we're not to do, what we are to do. We wouldn't do it out of guilt. We would do it because we love you. But Lord Jesus, help us to know in these weeks what we should do on the 24th. What kind of pledge should we make? What what should we do that we would advance your kingdom? For Lord, we ask these things together. And we thank you and we praise you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.